0: Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So I think we're we're carrying on with trust, right? Is that the idea?
1: That's exactly right. And uh, you and I had been talking about this before we got started in the recording. About one of the steps of trust is being predictable. And I think this message we we've given out before, and it's something that I think people will understand that they certainly, I think everyone's aware that mixed messages uh, undermine trust when you when you're Uh, saying one thing, but doing another. something that people are actually really sensitive for. And once people spot that kind of hypocrisy, it really helps uh, them get a story in their mind that can be very difficult to change. Mm -hmm. And I know you, you have a really good example that of a, of a company that claimed to have a supportive environment, but it turned out you learned that hadn't been everyone's experience. Can you, can you tell us about that?
0: Sure. So I came in as CTO in this company, and there were just a couple of developers there. And this one guy, and we're going to call him Billy, he would turn up and he would have these kind of shouting experiences where he'd kind of have a freak out and go home didn't seem to be triggered by anything. And it was really hard to understand what was going on for him, but uh, he'd obviously been traumatized and, and had a difficult time. So one of the things I thought would really build trust and start to help Billy and others feel that they were having a good experience instead of having such a hard time was to do the very classic agile thing and get a t-shirt size for a bunch of different projects and measure what would be feasible to fit into the next sprint since we were going to start working in sprints and start working in a more agile fashion. And so I called the whole team together and I said, Hey, here, here's a list of 10 things. And I started writing them down on the, on the whiteboard and I got about to number nine and, uh, Billy had one of his outbursts, but this time what he said was, uh, this is impossible. I've had it. I'm done. And I said, what do you mean by I'm done? And he said, I quit. And I said, well, oh, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> so I marched everybody else out and I said, okay, Billy, do you want to tell me what's going on here? Cause I'm really confused. And he said, well, you've given me these. 10 projects and it's just ridiculous. You know, we can't do those in a sprint. You're just trying to work us to death. You know, you, you want to replace us with remote people. I know what you managers are up to. And what was really interesting about it as I dug into it more with him was that he had such a firm story we've talked about aligning stories. His story was so misaligned with my actual intention that when I had said at the beginning quite casually and without making a big fuss of it that we were going to do t shirt sizes and decide which of the ten projects would make sense, he hadn't even been able to hear that. all he had heard was, "We're going to do all ten of these things, and you're going to do them and if you can't tough you know you're uh, <laughs> you're out of here and so he said, i'm going to jump before I'm pushed so it was a case where he'd he been so mistreated and it had such a difficult time previously that he couldn't even hear what I was saying.
1: It's so classic because it, what he heard was something that fit his existing story, which fits very well. We talked about the ladder of inference and how we select data from the environment, but what we select is something that's colored by the beliefs we already have about the world. So we have this sort of feedback loop.
0: Exactly. Well, he, he saw a list of 10 things. He thought, we must do all 10 things. <laughs> and he selected out the piece of information that Squirrel says we're going to t-shirt size them and only do a few, maybe none. He, he only selected the, there's a list of things on the board, therefore Squirrel's going to make me do them.
1: Yeah, which comes from, you know this is a reasonable environment with unreasonable people mm-hmm. who have questionable motives. <laughs> and, and that was a, a view that he had because of past actions at the company. You told me that it's past examples where that led him to made him feel he really couldn't trust uh, the managers there to uh, be reasonable about estimates.
0: Yep. And it was that company and, and earlier ones where a list of things on the board really was a demand to do this set of things as quickly as possible and often in an unreasonable time. And in fact, a, a previous company, not this one, but he had had managers walk up to the board and erase estimates and say, well, this will be done on Friday. So he he told me that later, and that helped me really to understand his outbursts, and in this case, his, his threat to quit, because he was expecting that same behavior. He had come to have the kind of negative trust. He'd come to believe that that was what was going to happen.
1: Right. So if we want to build trust then, rather than, because we're no longer on the undermining trust series, yeah, exactly. then it's very clear that we want to be predictable and we want to have our actions uh, match our words. Uh, this this can be more difficult uh, than it sounds. Uh, you know, I have talked before about Chris Argyris, and we're going to provide a link in the show notes to an article about him where he talks about his theories of actions. Because one of the things he talked about is how people will often have two different sets of theories there is the theory that they talked about which is their espouse theory and then there's the theory in use which is the theory behind their actions that they're actually using and that these two things are often different uh, in, in ways that we don't recognize at the time and different things can lead to it but this this is one thing that came to mind recently when we were doing our series on how to fail back acting laterally in part four we talked about the assumption that my feelings and behaviors are justified and often what that means is we we will end up taking actions that don't match what our espoused theory is because we would say as a theory this is what things that i believe but in in practice when we feel like we're right and something is important at stake and the other people aren't to be trusted well then maybe it's okay for us to do something that uh, we wouldn't normally say was our behavior but it's the it's the circumstances that are leading us to do it
0: Well, Hey, you know, we always trust our engineers when they give us estimates, we believe them and we follow them and we believe, except, you know, that Billy guy, you know, he, he often (laughs) overestimates. So I'm, I'm just going to update. I know he'd want me to do this because more
1: realistic this way.
0: Exactly. And and all of us agree. And I'm doing it right here in front of everyone. So definitely he can see that that's why it's a more reasonable estimate. So that's okay. (laughs) That may sound ridiculous. And some of our listeners may be laughing uproariously as they hear that and say, I would never do that. I challenge them to think about cases where they have. And if you think you've never done it, ask your friends, because it's much easier to see in someone else than it is in yourself. And so it's easy to recognize it as I tell the story and say, oh, I would never do that. I predict that every one of our listeners has done that. Certainly I have, and Jeffrey, I know you have. Yep. When
1: we talked about using the ladder inference as a tool for introspection, that can be something we can find that way. But looking on the positive side now, let's assume that we are in a situation where um, we're not going to have that type of conflict. The other problem we can have is we may be acting coherently, but it turns out that uh, all of our ideas and theories about why we're working the way we are, I mean, we, we haven't actually shared we we're very consistent with the ideas that are in our head, but we haven't actually shared them with other people so that we have no ability for them to begin to trust us because we're not providing information to show that we're predictable.
0: We're showing actions, but we aren't showing the reasoning behind the actions. So we can't say, well, you can know that I'm going to do this because my reasoning is thus and such. And then that's an opportunity for them to test.
1: Exactly. So it'd be great if they're doing TDD for people, they might discover our ladder of inference, they might discover the facts, the things we know, but um, we can't rely on that. We have to learn to be transparent ourselves. And again, we'll put another link in the show notes to a uh, Roger Schwartz paper on the, the eight behaviors of smarter teams. That one that we've linked to, I think, several times before. One of our favorite papers. That's right. Because it talks about the behaviors that work to build trust. And two of the sort of behaviors he talks about, one is um, sharing all relevant information. So in terms of the the ladder of inference, this is the things that are low on the ladder. What's the data that we've seen? Mm-hmm. And then he also talked about sharing reasoning and intent, which is now a bit higher up on the ladder. This is the assumptions I've made, the meaning I've added, and and what what I'm trying to get to, to, to have happen. And when we share those things, the people we're talking to can look at our actions and see that they match the messages we've put out in the past.
0: Or if they don't, they can ask us about it. So one way or the other, we we win Yes, because we're trying to align our theory use and use in our espouse theory. And if we fail, someone can catch us. And if we succeed, they can build trust in us that we're actually doing what we say.
1: Right. A good example here we have is uh, another story that, that involves Billy. This is <laughs> the Billy story part two. And can you tell us what, what it was that then happened later that you were able to um, provide this kind of transparency?
0: Indeed. So part of what I wanted to do with Billy and the rest of his team was overcome this reputation that was so strong, Billy happened to have it the worst, but other people in the team certainly also had this misapprehension or that what I was going to do had an ulterior motive. I was out to get them. I was doing nefarious things and I wanted to counteract that. I wanted to share my reasoning and become predictable. So what I did was I noticed that one of the things that drove them absolutely bananas, and I'm sure that our listeners will empathize with this, was as skilled software developers being tapped on the shoulder and asked to fix the printer. (laughs) by other people in the office this tends not to be a way to make best friends with your software developers if you're not a software developer please don't do this because it will drive software developers slowly mad or quickly mad. So this was happening a lot because there was no IT function. There was nobody who was responsible for looking out for the printer and the people uh, the rest of the business didn't know who to go to except those geeks in the corner. And so their behavior made sense, but it wasn't actually very helpful to Billy and others. So I said, look, I'm going to address this problem. And the first thing I'm going to do to address this problem is to say, if you have an IT question, bring it to me personally. I was the CTO, but bring it to me. Do not bring it to one of these people. Do not tap them on the shoulder. Bring it to me. And, of course, my intention was to bring in very quickly an outsourced IT service. And, in fact, I succeeded in doing that pretty quickly. But there was a gap in between. And during that gap, I crawled around on the floor and plugged the printer cables in. And I chased uh, router issues down and did all kinds of other stuff. I remember the founder coming to me one day and saying, I can't believe my CTO is down there on the floor making sure things are plugged in and i said this is how i'm building trust with the team <laughs> because they think that we don't care about them and that they, they would have an awful lot of trouble holding on to that story when they can see only my feet as i'm uh, down here fixing a problem and they're not having to do so so by saying i was going to do it saying my reasoning which was i want you to concentrate on building the software that that we've committed to in the in the sprint and by actually delivering on it by being down on the floor, I managed to start to build some trust with Billy and others. It was not a quick process, but there are lots of things that agile coaches and teams tend to do and I like to look at them in this with this lens. Is this a thing that I'm doing as I first get started with my agile transformation that builds trust because as we've said before from our friend Brad Appleton Appleton, the, the message is you have to build trust first and how are you doing that is a question I'd ask our listeners.
1: One thing that I, I really like about that story that, and, that illustrates is not just that your willingness to be down there and doing the work, which is kind of leadership by itself. But on top of that, it could have easily been for not as far as building trust goes, if you hadn't put out the message ahead of time of what it was you were doing. If you hadn't shared your reasoning intent, if, if, if you'd told all the other people who were not developers, look, come to meet the problems, but you didn't tell the developers why you were doing that, it could be they're like, oh, more proof he doesn't trust us. <laughs> yes, exactly. He doesn't think we're competent enough, now he's going to go and become the central clearinghouse. They might have had a different story that they created, but because you shared your intentions and it was coherent with when your actions were, it actually built trust.
0: It's both pieces that you need to you know, both share what your reasoning is and then act in a way that is coherent with that.
1: All right. Thank you, Billy, for providing us with uh, two stories uh, that uh, go together here to talk about trust and, the first of all, the, the problems you can have when there's a mismatch between people's espoused theories and, and actual actions that can lead to uh, distrust, and then later on, the ability to be transparent and and consistent to build trust.
0: Indeed. Okay. Well, listeners, uh, we'd love to hear your stories about trust. We've been talking about it for a while, and uh, it's a very interesting topic. So if you have any at this holiday season, maybe you have a little bit of extra time, you could drop us an email, send us a tweet, uh, find any other method you'd like for getting in touch with us. TroubleshootingAgile.com has all the links and things you could need. And uh, we'd love to be talking about issues that you've had with trust. What have you done to build trust with your team or, or where are you struggling to do so? If you'd like to hear us next time talking about trust and other troubleshooting agile issues, please click the subscribe button in your podcast app of choice, and we'd love to be talking to you next week. We're going to be heading into a new year soon, so uh, our book will be coming out soon, and we'll be discussing more topics. Trust is the first chapter, so we're, we're looking forward to talking about more of those things in the new year. All right. Thanks, Jeffrey.
1: Thanks, Gronk.